Well, today we're bringing our series in the book of Genesis to a close. And in it, if you've been with us from the start, you know that we've been on a journey with Joseph and his family. And they were a fractured family. They were a family that had all kinds of issues and problems, much like many of ours do today. They began in a pit of despair in Canaan, and we've seen it. the story move to a pinnacle of success as Joseph was moved into the palace as the prime minister of Egypt. Uh, we've seen how Joseph walked the road of reconciliation with his family and how he moved them down the road to Egypt to be with him. As we've walked through this story of this family, it's, it's been a roller coaster of highs and lows. It's been heartaches and happiness. And as we come to a closing today, we're going to see that there is both joy and grief mingled together as Jacob gathers his family together for a final blessing. And it's really a fitting close to the story that it falls on Mother's Day because it's just like being a mom, isn't it? There are highs and lows, there's joy and grief as you try to leave a godly legacy with your family. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 48 if you're not already there. And here what we're going to find is Jacob, the father of this family, uh, coming, as I said, to gather his family together. Now, Jacob, you'll remember, is a man who has struggled at times. He's a guy who played favorites with his kids, and we've seen the consequences that came from that. He's a man who struggled with the negative side of things. But here, as his life comes to a close, uh, he ends on a high note. His faith rises to the surface, and he wants to leave words of blessing for his family as he passes on this legacy. As parents, there are days that we're a lot like Jacob. Uh, We just struggle to survive, don't we? There are times that as you try to manage the kid's schedule, as you deal with the stresses that come, uh, it's very easy to miss the blessings that our children and our families are. Psalm 127.3 tells us that children are a gift from God. And if you're like me as a, a dad or a mom, you sometimes want to return that gift to the sender, don't you? I saw a bumper sticker once. It said, grandchildren are God's reward to us for not killing our own children. <laughs> and uh, as we look at Genesis forty-eight eleven, we see God's grace to Jacob because he says there, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Uh, this, this story is where Jacob, remember, is now at this point in his life 147 years of age. He came to Egypt when he was 130, so 17 years have passed. He's 147. Verse 10 says that his eyes are dim. He's nearly blind. And this description reminds us of what chapter 27 tells us. There you'll remember how when Jacob's own father, Isaac, was elderly and near the point of death, he called for one of his sons to come in for a blessing. And we saw how it was a little different setup because there he was trying to bless Esau, the older boy, and he was hiding it from Jacob. But Jacob's mom and he hatched a plan. They came in and uh, they stole Esau's birthright, his blessing. Uh, He had already gotten the birthright through the sale of the stew earlier, but here he takes Esau's blessing. But this is a, a picture of God's transforming grace because while the stories are similar, here you have an elderly patriarch giving his final blessing at the point of death, and he's nearly blind just as his father was. But instead of being Jacob, the supplanter, the heel catcher, the schemer, here he is Israel the one who strives with God. And rather than stealing a blessing, he is the one who is giving a blessing. 
And as we look at the situation, it says that the sons of Joseph are brought in, Manasseh and, Egypt, and, and Ephraim. In Genesis 47, 28, remember there's been 17 years that have passed, and these boys were born before that. So you might picture the babies that we just dedicated this morning, but that wasn't the case. These are young men in their 20s. And as they come before their grandfather, they're given a great gift here. They're given the gift of seeing their grandfather's faith. And while the Bible is clear that each and every one of us must come to faith personally on our own, we as parents cannot in, in impart our faith into them in the sense where they just become a believer because they're born into our family, we do have the opportunity to leave a legacy that will help them to understand the road they are to walk, to see the God they are to love and serve. And so here these boys have this blessing of seeing the, the legacy of their grandfather's faith. In verse, verses 3 and following, he begins to walk through the covenant that God made with him. And the, this covenant, the promises that he's going to pass on as Israel passes it on to the boys who will become the nation of Israel. Now, as he does so, he makes clear that these two grandsons are to be a part of that line of promise. Remember that Joseph is his son, but Joseph was married off to an Egyptian, to a woman who was the son of a pagan priest, I mean, the daughter of a pagan priest. But what Jacob does here is he says, these boys are being brought into the line of promise. I'm adopting them, literally adopting them into the, the family. In Genesis 48, 5 through 6, this is what we read. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brother, in the, of their brothers in their inheritance. So you see what Jacob is doing here is he formally adopts these two sons. These grandsons are being made a part of his sons. You'll recall that the Bible tells us that the firstborn of the family receives a double inheritance. Now the oldest of all the boys was Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn to the one wife named Leah. Joseph was the firstborn to the wife named Rachel. And what happened is, we're going to see this again as he goes through the blessing. There was a time where Reuben sinned against his father. He slept with one of the concubines. Remember, there were four moms in the home. And one of them was uh, another mom of some of the other boys. And Reuben committed a heinous sin where he slept with one of Jacob's concubines. And so Jacob sets this son aside. He says, you forfeited your role as the lead son. Now, Joseph was the firstborn through the favored wife, and he becomes the one that receives the double blessing. But what, what Jacob is doing here is he says, your inheritance goes to your two sons. I'm going to divide your double inheritance among your boys. These grandsons then are given equal status with all of the other sons, but their blessing shows they're actually going to supersede the other sons, which as you read through the history of Israel, you see this as Ephraim and Manasseh become two of the most powerful of the 12 tribes in the history of Israel. Their names are included in the list of the 12 tribes that are sealed in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, remember, there are 12 sons who become the 12 tribes, but the tribe of Dan is removed from that final list. And when we went through the series in the book of Judges, we saw in Judges chapter 18, the disobedience of Dan and how they forfeited and went outside of God's will and land. And these boys have stepped in and replaced uh, some of those that were the, the formal seed, the, the literal biological seed 
of Jacob. Now, Ephraim and Manasseh are the ones who, as I've already told you, were born to an Egyptian woman. So here we see the beauty of God's adoption of us. Uh, we, we who were Gentiles, who were outside of the covenant people of Israel, have been brought into the family of God just as these boys were. Now, we're told something of this in Galatians 3.29. There it says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to promise. So again, we see a beautiful picture of our story here in the story of Jacob and his sons as we've been adopted into God's line. Now, as we look at the blessing being given, look at verses 48, uh, I mean, chapter 48, verses 13 through 19. It says, Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right. So Joseph is bringing the two grandsons in their birth order and he wants the right hand signifying the blessing to go on the oldest. So he puts him close to him, but Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused. And he said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations." As Israel is giving these blessings, they're not only a gift to the children, but they're also prophetic. This is God telling the story of what is to come through these generations. And as he goes to the younger brother Ephraim, it says in Genesis 48, 19, that his offspring would become a multitude of nations. You recall that Ephraim's name means fruitful or doubly blessed. And here he's going to match that as he becomes the one who will be one of the the greatest in the promised land as the the nation of Israel eventually goes back. Now we saw in verse 17 that Joseph tried to change things. He says, no, 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 dad, you're doing this all wrong. I I have the plans laid out for my kids. I have dreams for them. How many of us as parents have ever done that? Have you ever been watching your kids go down a road? Maybe they're choosing a, a career path or, or some other, maybe the person they're going to marry, and you're going, no, 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 this isn't how I envisioned it. Have you ever wanted to step in and try to change things? You know, as parents, we are those who have ideas and plans. And we, we think sometimes what it should look like. I think of the story of a young man one time. He came to his mom and he said, Mom, I've fallen in love. And, and I've, I've met the girl I'm going to marry, and I want you to meet her. And, Mom, I'm going to do something kind of fun. I'm going to bring over three ladies, and I want you to see if you can figure out which one I'm going to marry. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing this anybody here. So anyway, this guy brings over the three girls, three lovely ladies. He sits them together on a couch. They're all sitting there, and they chat for a while. And then the son turns to his mom, and he says, Mom, which one am I going to marry? And without missing a beat, she says, the one in the middle. And he goes, Mom, that is amazing. Yes, how did you know? And she said, because I don't like her. (laughs) 
Now, as I said, as moms and dads, sometimes we think we have it all figured out, right? Nobody here would ever do that, I know. But, and, and what we need to do as parents is we need to give them the benefit of our wisdom. Yes, we need to share our opinions. Yes, we need to share from our life experiences. But moms and dads, we also need to step back sometimes. And we need to say, listen, I have prayed for you. I have prayed that God would be your guide. And I know you are a unique person. You're different than me. And you have dreams and plans that maybe are not my plans or dreams for you. But in those moments, we need to love our kids enough to step back and say, God, you guide them. Now, after blessing his grandsons, verses 21 through 22 tell us this. Then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am about to die. But God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. This is that double firstborn uh, blessing. When we get to verses 22 through 29 of chapter 49, we're going to come back to what Jacob says to Joseph more in depth. But what I want to do here is follow the text as he goes through the rest of the sons and he blesses them in their birth order. So as we look at chapter 49, verses 1 through 4 tell us, Then Jacob summoned his sons, and he said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So he's gathered all the boys together. And he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might in the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now, you recall that earlier in this series, we talked about Joseph as a father, and we saw one of the problems was the passivity of him, how he did not step in in the times that he needed to as a dad. And this is one of those. His son committed a grievous sin. The entire family knew about it. And from what we can tell in the text, Jacob did nothing. He just buried it. And what happened is when he buried the sin, you'll remember there was this wall that came up between the father and son. We saw how Reuben at times tried to step up. He tried to save Joseph from the pit. He tried to offer him his sons as the replacement for Benjamin as surety when he went. And each time, Jacob as a father just pushed him aside and said, no, there was this wall that was there. He never dealt with it. As parents, when there is an offense, when we see our kids doing something wrong, what the Bible tells us is we need to love them enough to step up and intervene. That includes the very hard role of doing discipline. The Bible tells us that God disciplines us. It says in Hebrews twelve six, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. The Bible is clear that God shows his love for us by disciplining. And that can be hard. But as parents, you need to be those who are not trying to be your kid's favorite or the cool parent. You need to love your kids enough at times to step in and discipline and say, this is going to hurt me as much as you. And it does. And we need to be those who love our kids enough to say no, because we know there is something better for them. We know what they're about to do may be harmful. This happened one night to a mom. She and her teenage daughter were home, 
She was a single mom and her daughter came downstairs to go out on uh, a kind of a group date with her friends. And as this girl, teenage girl, kind of tries to blow down the stairs and out the front door, the mom catches sight of her and says, whoa, 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 where are you going, honey? Come back in here. And so she comes in and she's wearing a, a very short skirt. And the mother looks at her daughter and she said, where did you get that? And she said, oh, this is a friend's. I, I borrowed it from a friend and I'm going to wear it tonight. And the mother said, no, you're not. You're not going out wearing that. And she said, oh, yes, I am, mom. You see, everybody's wearing clothes like this and it's, it's, I'm, I'm doing it. And the mother said, no, you're not. And they get into this big blow up and fight to the point where the mother says, listen, you have two choices. You can go upstairs and change your clothes or you can go upstairs and stay there for the night. And the daughter says, I'm not changing clothes. And the mother says, then you're not going out. Go upstairs. So the daughter stomps up the stairs. She gets upstairs. She yells and screams from the top of the stairs at her mom. And her mom says, go in your room. And she goes in and slams the door. And the mother's down there. She just settles down on the couch for a moment, feeling hurt. The door opens again. She hears more screaming from upstairs. The daughter's yelling how old-fashioned she is, how mean she is, and uh, I'm going to go out, and you can't stop me. And the mother again says, you need to go in your room. You're grounded. And so the daughter slams the door and goes in. And the mother sits down on the couch, and she cries. She sits down there wondering, am I old-fashioned? Am I doing the right things? Maybe I should give in. But she sticks to her guns, and, and after a while, she hears the door open upstairs. And her daughter comes walking down the stairs, wearing her pajamas. And she sits down on the couch next to her mother, and she leans her head into her mother's shoulder, and she starts crying. And she says, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I yelled at you. I was just scared. Now, the mother's surprised, and she says, what do you mean you were scared? And she said, I was scared that you wouldn't love me enough to say no and to keep me from going out like this. You know, parents, there are times that your kids may tell you they hate you. There may be times that your parents tell you you're old-fashioned. They may say that what you're doing is wrong and on and on. But in those moments, oftentimes, they're hoping deep within that you will say no deep within that you will stick to your guns, that you will be the bad guy. I, I, I told my oldest daughter, she's in high school one time, that no boy gets to go out with her until they meet me. And uh, I've also told them they don't get to date till they're 30. And uh, they periodically ask me, Dad, is that really true? And I said, we'll talk about it when you're 28. Uh, but I've had my daughter tell me as boys have come up, boys she didn't want to go out with who have really pressured her. And she says, my dad says, you have to talk to him before. And they're, they're not going to come see me, you know? And, uh, she says, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Now there may be a day where she says, now dad, come on, this is ridiculous. But right now she's saying, thank you. And many of your kids will do that for y'all deep within. They, they are glad that you love them enough to either say no or to discipline them. Remember what's happened in Joseph's family because the dad was passive because he wouldn't step up. We've already seen some of the wreckage. You'll, you'll recall that there was wreckage in the, the lives of some of the sons because of absentee parenting. And we see an example of that in verses 5 through 7. Because the next two sons that come are Simeon and Levi. And we saw in chapter 34 where there was a horrible situation that happened in Jacob's family where their sister Dinah was raped by the, men, by the leader of Shechem. And how Jacob, you'll recall, would not do anything about it. 
And so the boys had to step up, and they, 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 as they did so, they went overboard. And you'll remember they massacred the men of Shechem, the entire town. They looted it, killed everybody, took the women and children and all the goods. Because the father did not step in and do what he needed to, these boys did. And they went overboard. And again here, Jacob brings this up. As he talks about these boys, he, he says that in verses 6 and 7, he says, The weapons of violence are their swords. Their anger is fierce and their wrath is cruel. And a consequence that comes from this, he says in verse 7, is they would be dispersed and scattered in the land. Now, you remember that uh, these, tr- these tribes were each, as they went into the promised land, given an allotment of land. But one of them, the tribe of Levi, was not given a land grant. They were instead put in various cities among all the other tribes. They were dispersed all through the land. Now, the tribe of Levi became the priestly tribe. So in this, we also see the story of God's redemption, that even though hard things can happen, there can be consequences. God can sometimes uh, override even, well, he can in any case, but he can override our bad decisions. You recall last week, we talked about having 50-20 vision. And we saw in Genesis fifty twenty where Joseph said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God used it for good in the present time. And so here, what was a consequence became a blessing to the Levites as well as all the tribes as this salt and light influence was put among all the people to be teachers of God's word. But here again, we see uh, the lasting effects sometimes that come from sin. So if you're here today and you come from a broken family, We've talked in the past how the pain of the past can be redeemed and how it can be used in, in good ways, how God can take those things. And, and the, the hurt of the past, the pain of the past, doesn't have to be your lasting legacy. With God's help, you have the opportunity to change the past and make a lasting legacy of grace and godliness. Now, in contrast to these hard things that were just said, we see the next son, Judah, who comes. And remember, as we've seen in the story of Joseph, Judah is the line of promise that is raised up. This is the one whom uh, the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, would come from this line. And here, as he blesses them, we see this coming forward. In verses 8 through 12, he's, he's promised a place of preeminence and royalty. And out of the line of Judah would come some of the greatest kings. You have David, you have Solomon. But the greatest, the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ, would be the one who would ultimately come from this line. It wasn't that Judah was better than the other boys. Remember in chapter 37, he was the one who said, hey, let's sell Joseph into slavery. This was a guy who made mistakes. But again, we see God's transforming power as he overrides uh, the past and he, he creates one of of blessing and grace for the future. Now Zebulun and Issachar come next. And the earthly lot of both of these tribes you see would be pleasant. But in it we also see that there are words that are said where there would be a price to pay for the things they pursue. As you read through the Old Testament, uh, you see that Zebulun settled by the seashore. He was drawn away uh, by the pagan people of Sidon that were right there. He said, here's, a, here's an abundant land. It's right on the trade routes. And as he got close to the pagans, they compromised and they were drawn into it. And Issachar became enslaved as well for the choices they were making. The Bible warns us, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose our soul? And as we as parents are trying to lead and guide our children, they watch us. They learn from us. 
and what we make as a priority uh, will be the things that they will focus on as well. We have to be very careful. I mentioned at the beginning of this message, I'm taking a sabbatical. And I'll tell you that as I've tried to raise my children, there are things that I've instilled in them. One of them is to work hard. Another one is to love the Lord. But I'll confess to you an area that I failed as a father is to show my kids how to rest, to show my kids how to withdraw sometimes, to have that Sabbath. And so this is an opportunity that I have to not only do the things I need to do, but it's an opportunity for me to be better at teaching my children how to rest. As you look at your own life, men and women, what are the things that maybe you need to work on? Are there areas that maybe you've been falling short in? And ask yourself, what are the things that you need to do better in teaching your children? What are the legacies that you need to leave for your kids? Abraham Lincoln once said, there's just one way to teach a child the way he should go, and that is to go that way yourself. We've all heard the saying, more is caught than taught. And as you look at your life, what are you modeling, modeling for your children? What are they learning from watching you? As we come to the next of the boys, Dan is called a serpent. Now, we've already talked about the disobedience of Dan. And one of the consequences is they are removed from the list of the tribes that are sealed there in Revelation chapter 7. Nephali is next, and he's said to be a wild deer. Benjamin, the youngest, is called a ravenous wolf. Asher will be one who produces rich delicacies that are fit for a king. And then we come back to Joseph. As Jacob begins his blessing in verse 22, there's a word play that's going on here. You'll remember that he, Jacob had blessed the second son, Ephraim, which means fruitful, as the preeminent one. And here as he talks about Joseph, there's this word play because he says in verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over the wall. Now, the metaphor here is of a well-watered tree that is growing and is, is, has these heavy-laden branches that are hanging over a garden wall, inviting people who walk by to partake of its fruit. And so it's a vivid picture of who Joseph has become. He's the guy, remember, that God moved to Egypt and moved up in a place of prominence, saying there will be seven years of famine, but then, I mean, seven years of plenty, but then seven years of famine. And God used Joseph to gather the surplus of the land, to store it away, to be able to feed the people, his family, the Egyptians, and the rest of the world. And so this is a picture of Joseph's life at the moment where people from all over the world are coming to be fed by Joseph. Verses 23 through 24 remind us things haven't always been easy. It says the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Joseph of Israel. Arrows represent the the hard things, the attacks that have happened to Joseph. The things from his brothers stripping him and throwing him into a pit and selling him in slavery. There's a slanderous attacks of uh, his former master's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, as she accused Joseph falsely of attempted rape and he was thrown into prison. His life hasn't just been a bed of roses. There have been hard things. But in all of this, Joseph held on to God and God used it to refine him. To, to purify and promote him into this place as the prime minister that he now has. Now, you'll notice his father acknowledges it is God who was behind this. He says that he is the mighty one of Jacob, as well as the shepherd and stone of Israel. 
These are terms that are used throughout the scripture to describe God. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 49, 26, then all flesh will know that I am the Lord, your savior and your, and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Isaiah 60, verse 16 says, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Just as a shepherd cares for his sheep, God has been watching over Joseph. He's been taking him through things. The scriptures tell us the image of God as our shepherd. It says in Psalm 23 that he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. There are very hard things we may face in life, but God is faithful. He is with us even in the darkest moments of our life. He doesn't leave us there. He takes us through it. And so Joseph is one that has had God shepherding him. We see that he's called the stone of Israel. It's that firm foundation that Joseph had, even in the midst of the storms that raged in his life, he stood firmly on the rock. Several times in this story, we've seen where stones of remembrance have been set up, and this is another image for Joseph and others. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness to him, not just to Joseph, but it also says the generations before, as Jacob says in verse 25, the God of your fathers. And then as he's sharing this blessing, I want you to notice the cascade of names that he uses for God that pour forth in this blessing. He says, the mighty one of Jacob. He calls God the shepherd. He calls God the stone. He is the God of your fathers. He says he is El Shaddai, the almighty. And as parents, this is something we need to do. We need to be pointing out who God is, what God has done in our life and in the past and in the life of our kids, things they may not remember. And so as we are reminding them of who God is, his faithfulness to both them and us, it is a blessing, a legacy that we leave for our kids. Now, as this blessing comes to a close, it's kind of like watching the final finale of the fireworks. Have you ever seen, you know, where you're waiting for just boom, 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 everything just suddenly comes. Look at six times in the next verses, in verses 25 through 26, he uses the word blessed. He says, from the God of your father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with the blessing of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your Father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. And, and it's, he's just heaping it on, and he says, May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. You know, here's Joseph in all his royal regalia. He's wearing some headdress and the, the signet ring of Pharaoh, and he's in, in earthly finery. But what Jacob is saying is, as he places his hand upon Joseph's head, he says, son, this earthly stuff doesn't even compare with the blessings of God. And I want you to remember who God is and what he has done. You know, as Christians, we have blessings that are still to come for us as well. Sometimes we get caught up in this world and the things around us. But what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.3 is this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Don't get focused on the stuff of the world and forget what is coming, where our true citizenship is in heaven and what God has for us there, as well as the blessings he has for us in this present time, if we will hold fast to our God. As Jacob says these things, he brings the prophetic blessing to a close. And I want you to notice he prepares to receive them himself. 
Because verses 29 through 33 tell us, then he charged them and said, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, in Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought along, bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for the burial site. For they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah there, and they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it. I purchased from the, the sons of Heth. And when Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Jacob here reiterates his previous instructions that you are to take my bones from this place in Egypt and you are to take them back to the promised land and bury me there. And as you read through the rest of Genesis 50, you see Joseph doing that as there's this huge state funeral. His body is embalmed. He's carried back. There's two months plus of mourning that takes place. And so this is fulfilled. What Jacob is showing is his faith here. He says, listen, I've just blessed you boys saying you will go back to the land. You will have possession of it. And he says, I believe this with all my heart. And he says, I want to go back to the land as well. So don't leave my body here in Egypt. Bury me back in the land where my family will eventually reside. All of these things come uh, to place, including that for Joseph. Joseph will ask that he be buried in the family tomb as well. Now, as we talked about last time, it will be 400 years before that happens when the Egyptian exodus takes place. But as it takes place, we read in Exodus thirteen nineteen, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and you shall carry my bones from here with you. As we look back over the history that is recorded in the scriptures, we see that all of the blessings that Jacob gave came came true. Jacob goes back. Joseph goes back. As the the families are settled there, the sons of Ephraim and Manasseh become uh, mighty tribes in the land. But then there's apostasy that takes place, and they lose their place, and Judah rises to the place of preeminence. And they become, as the northern kingdom is split, Uh, into one nation and Judah, the southern kingdom goes into another. And beyond the earthly kings that rise from, from David and Solomon and others, ultimately comes the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. And as we think and look ahead to the ultimate blessings that come, beyond these earthly kings that rise, we see a fulfillment in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Because in Luke 2, 25, it tells us that 2,000 years ago, There was a godly old prophet by the name of Simeon. And he was there, you'll recall, in the temple. He had been waiting because God had promised him, you will not die before your eyes see what he termed the consolation of Israel, the promised Messiah, the one that would come. And as Mary and Joseph bring in Jesus Christ, the baby, to be dedicated in Luke 2, 29 through 32, this is what we're told. Simeon holds Jesus, the baby, And he looks to heaven and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As we follow Joseph and his family through this story, you'll remember that the story behind the story has been the line of promise. It's been pointing to how the promise made to Abraham of a group of uh, just how Abraham and Sarah, a barren elderly couple, would become 
the father and mother of a nation. And we've seen how that line carried through with Jacob and his sons coming in, and there were 70. And over the next 400 years that is to follow what we're looking at, they would become a nation of millions. And God would bring them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. And ultimately, there would be the promise of the line, the line of Judah, Jesus Christ, that would be raised up for us. What we've seen in this story is that there is a family that is far from perfect. But God was at work weaving a wonderful story of redemption. And men and women, some of you are sitting here this morning saying, you know, I've made a mess of my family. We are not a perfect family. We are not perfect people. And what God can do in and through you and your home is still leave a legacy of blessing. The story is not over yet. God was at work in the family of Jacob, and at the end, uh, he rises to the surface in faith and faithfulness. And all of us here can do that. We have the opportunity to share the good news of God's story of redemption in and through our families. And so today, I want to thank those of you who are here who are moms for being a part of that story, a part of that story of grace, and for sharing your lives and your love with our families and impacting and leaving a legacy for the next generation. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for this great story of grace. We thank you for what we've seen in the life of Joseph and how you've been at work in the hard times as well as the good times. We thank you for the way that you've been refining and changing and and, and weaving this story of redemption and grace. And so, Father, now as we leave the story of Genesis, we want to be those who would live the story of Genesis. May we be those who will be men and women, moms and dads, boys and girls and families, who will um, point people to the Redeemer that we found. So we commit our time and our families to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.